welcome to Novel Thoughts, a weekly book chat podcast hosted by me, Sapphire Bates. And me, Joseph Dance. Two book lovers from Ramsgate, East Kent. This is the podcast for the big readers and the book lovers. Once a month, we deep dive on one particular book, maybe an old favourite or something new and exciting, and three of us will read and discuss it. The rest of the time, we are spoiler-free, covering everything from new releases, old gems you might have missed, long lists, short lists, author spotlights, as well as the occasional interview. We'll also chat about what culture we've consumed that week and take questions from you, our lovely listeners. Hi, Joseph. Hey, Sapphire. How are you? I am good. Do you think that we should just let listeners know we're actually recording in a slightly different location today? So if there's a bit of a different sound in their, in their ears, yep. that's why. We are in a dungeon in Sapphire's house. Rude. We're in my living room. Okay, it's lovely. <laughs> But it is the basement, so... I'm glad we're here and we're recording. We are indeed. How are you? I'm very good. I've had a very good reading week. You'll be very pleased to know that I managed to read all three of my Christmas choices. Do you remember the episode we did? No, no. what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I do. <laughs> and did you read yours? No, I did not. Some, some, okay. not all. So just to recap, I mm. was going to read I Have Some Questions For You by Rebecca Mackay, Blackouts by Justin Torres, and Closer by Dennis Cooper. I know we're going to talk about Rebecca Mackay on a later episode, so I think maybe I'll save my thoughts on her new novel for then. You tease. But I, what I was thinking, given that we've got lots of books to talk about today, perhaps we could put up a few reviews on Instagram. So we could let everyone know what we thought of those books and other books we've been reading as well. Yeah, I like that. Then you guys don't have to wait as long for some of our thoughts on books that we've mentioned but not really discussed. Absolutely. So what are you going to tell me about today that you've read? Well, I have been reading two quite experimental books this week and I also had one DNF, my first DNF <gasps> of 2024. Let's start with the DNF. May there be many, 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 many more. Oh, you don't want to hear about the books I actually enjoyed. Okay, straight to the I DNF. Wanna, I want to start no, with the DNF. this is controversial. Okay, so my DNF, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this probably, is The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride. Yes, now this is on my TBR pile. Why did you DNF? Because I loved the sound of this. Well, thanks for that. I mean, I know we don't do DNF shame on this podcast, and I want you to know I really did try with this book, but it just... It didn't stick. This was my first James McBride. And I know this book was like a big New York Times favourite and bestseller. I just couldn't get into it. And no. (laughs) I think that's fine. I was just going to say there is no shame. I am, you know, we've said it before. I'll say it again. I am very proud of you for DNFing. I don't think there's any shame in that. I just was surprised because I'd seen some quite good reviews of it recently. But that, but that's all part of it, right? We're all different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a big book. It's set in the 1920s in Pennsylvania. It's about a large kind of cast of Jewish and black characters who get on with each other in a mixed community, kind of fight common enemies. And there's a bit of a whodunit aspect to it as well at the beginning. I think a body's found in a well. But it just, it didn't grab me. And even though it's got some really great, dialogue it's just like after 100 pages I couldn't quite get a feel for where it was going and I normally really enjoy family community sagas so I thought this was going to be right up my street but I don't know maybe there's the maybe it's the right book at the wrong time and I should give it another go that was my next question I was like is this because I I think of my dnfs in two piles one is a dnf and I'm like absolutely not hated it I'm never going back to it and then I have another dnf pile that's like okay I didn't finish it this time 
but I'll revisit it and give it a second chance. I like that. So it's kind of like a, maybe it was me, not you, DNF yeah. pile. <laughs> like a sliding doors. Yes. Yeah. So maybe I need to, I need to give this book another go. Shall I tell you about the other books that I've been reading that I did actually finish and enjoyed? Yes, let's move on to some positives. Sorry, James McBride. So my first book is The Employees by Olga Rown. Loved it. So I thought it was Olga Raven, but I'm here to tell you it's Olga Raven. R-A-V-N. Danish I, name, very difficult to pronounce. I wasn't. I, I love that you, you checked this because I also thought the same thing. And then when you said it, I recognised the book from the title. And then you said the surname and my brain went, oh, funny. You've... I never knew that. So this came out a few years back and was shortlisted for the International Booker Prize in 2021. It's a very um, short novel about the crew of a spaceship orbiting a planet where they have discovered a number of strange artefacts and they decide to bring them back onto the ship. And I didn't know this until I finished the book, and you might have known this actually, that these artefacts actually exist in real life. <gasps> No, I didn't. I didn't know that at all. Yeah, so they're the sculptures and installations by an artist called Leah Gordite Hesterland, another name I've just butchered. Um, you can see them online, and we should probably put a link in the show notes to the gallery page where yes. you can see all of those images. So basically, Olga Raun has worked with this artist to create kind of like a literary companion piece to her uh, exhibition. And she's mapped all of these objects onto a spaceship, and she's written about how people might react to them which is essentially a big part of the novel, how the crew responds emotionally and physically to all of these artefacts, these bizarre structures. Some of the crew are repulsed by them. Some are bemused or anxious and others want to touch them or put them in their mouths. There's kind of like a, a mixture of responses. I just thought it was a really fascinating book. It's kind of sci-fi, but it's also like a really clever satire on corporate workplace culture. Hence the title, I guess, The Employees. Yes, I really, because it's almost from the perspective, it was quite a while ago I read this, but it's it, the HR department that plays like yes. quite a big element, right, in this. So it's kind of, yeah, absolutely. So it's structured as a series about, I think it's like a hundred page long statements. They're quite, some of them are really short, made by the crew of the ship. And it, they're like made to a central committee who are investigating how the objects have affected the crew's kind of general productivity and impacted on their like day-to-day -day ability to run the ship. So as you can imagine, well, you've, you've read it, but as you can imagine, there's lots of kind of office politics with crew members like criticising each other and complaining to management but then you've got it against this like weird eerie sci-fi backdrop so it makes her a really interesting mix i really love the novel and although it's short i don't know about you but i felt invested in the crew and how they felt about what was happening and the format of the book with these statements didn't feel particularly labored it it worked so i definitely recommend that one yeah i agree it's, it's a recommend for me good would you like to hear about the second book i've read i would so i Read Corey Farr does social mobility by Isabel Weidner. Have I've you heard not of this one. No, I've not heard of this. Tell me. I feel like this is possibly one of the most bonkers novels I have read for a long time, and I'm kind of kicking myself. You know, when you find a book that's so wacky, you're just like, "This author has an incredible back catalogue. Why didn't I discover them earlier?" Oh. So it's one of those. Yes. So Weidner is a non-binary German-British novelist and cultural critic based in the UK, their previous novels and short works, from what I've read about them online, focus on working class, queer and transgender people. And I'm quoting now, examine how the British novel tends to reproduce white middle class values and aesthetics. So they, they very much write in, a, in opposition mm. to that. 
Corey Farr is their latest novel, and I'm going to keep this short because I don't want to spoil the plot for anyone, and I'm not entirely sure that I can actually summarise it accurately. So can I just read you a synopsis? Yes. This is the story of Corey Farr, a writer on the cusp of a windfall, courtesy of the Social Evils Prize Committee, for whom the actual gong, and with it the prize money, remains tantalisingly out of reach. Neon beige with UFO-like qualities, the elusive trophy leads Corey with partner Drew and surprise eight-legged companion Bambi Pavok on a spectacular detour through their childhood in the forest via an unlikely stint on reality TV. Navigating those twin horrors through wormholes and time loops, Corey learns the hard way the difference between a prize and a gift. And I just want to say to listeners, you weren't just dropping acid. I did just say all of those words. (laughs) An initial response reaction to that synopsis? Bonkers is, I think, the right terminology. It sounds very off the wall, but it sounds right up my street. Like I, it, That made me want to read it. Great. You should read it. It is mad. It's experimental. It's funny. It's very fast-paced. It's completely original in terms of plot, as you can kind of guess. I would say Weidner's writing style did make me think of writers like Angela Carter Mm. and Kathy Acker in places, which I think is 100% a good thing in my book. And as the synopsis says, it features Walt Disney's Bambi character, but in a weird mutant form. Plus, I know... (laughs) What? Bambi's kind of mixed with a spider. I think I've got a spider thing after last week, actually. Plus the British playwright Joe Orton from the 60s turns up briefly as a time-travelling chat show host. I mean, it's literally got everything. Yeah, and again, if you've listened to that synopsis and my description and thought it all sounds very science fiction, I should say it's not. It's kind of more like a contemporary fable. So don't let that put you off if you're not into sci-fi. Okay, yeah, I'm going to have to read this because I can't... I need to understand more about what is going on because that sounds insane but it's a glorious book and if you read it and like it i really recommend listening to the lrb podcast dermot hester did a really good interview with uh, isabel recently oh okay thank you for that recommendation you're welcome what have you been reading okay i read a beautiful book this week uh i read bewilderment by richard powers yes love it you've read it and i i think did i talk to you about the overstory previously i can't remember if you did or you didn't I've lectured you on the overstory. You I, ha- have. I have read Bewilderment, so I'm very excited that you've read it and you've enjoyed it. Yes, because this is my... I haven't read Overstory, which is also by Richard Powers. This was my first kind of foray. So this is actually Powers' 13th novel. Wow. Published in 2021 and shortlisted for the Booker Prize in the same year. He won the 2019 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction with The Overstory. So, as I say, my first kind of foray into the world of Richard Powers... I actually stumbled across this book in a charity shop and thought it looked interesting, so I kind of put it in my basket. So it's, and I quote here, a tale about the need to keep those we love safe that follows a widowed young father faced with the task of bringing up his son who has a little understood health condition. This book, this book was absolutely beautiful. Mm. It's slightly dystopian, so it's kind of set in a near-future America that feels not too dissimilar to where we are now. So it's not massively dystopian. Everything's just a little bit, a little bit amped up. Yeah. The, the little understood health condition that Robin, the son, kind of has, it's never actually explicitly named. It's floated that different doctors have suggested autism, ADHD, I think also OCD. 
We're keeping this obviously spoiler free, so I won't harp on too much, but it features a widowed father who's an astrophysicist and he's searching for life on new and undiscovered planets. And he's a big lover of science fiction books. And then Robin, his son, he's like a little bit different from other children. He sees and experiences the world differently and he has a huge love for animals and that love transpires into a huge worry about the many many animals nearing extinction this book kind of has sci-fi it has real deep heartfelt moments between father and son it has gorgeous nature descriptions it has some adventure some kind of neurobiology and interesting science elements and it mainly has a whole lot of love to it I just, I was obsessed with this. I mean, this book for me, it was all about the bond between the father and the son characters. Just phenomenal. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I I felt a lot of things. I loved it. And I, it was one of those books I put down and I just felt really good. Like I had all kinds of feelings, which I, I won't go into because I'll be spoiling the plot for you. But ultimately that really happy feeling that I'd read it. Well, I'm glad we. Yep, I'm <laughs> yep. glad we agree. <laughs> I just, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. What more can I say? Okay, so I read another book, which is uh, completely different to Bewilderment. Tell me about it. So the second book that I read is Come Closer by Sarah Graham. Ooh, great title. What's that mm. about? So it was originally published in 2003 in the US, published here by Faber in 2021. So I'd never heard of Sarah Gran when I picked it up. She's the author of six critically acclaimed novels, which include this one. She also writes for film and TV in the US. And I, I was kind of scrolling through TikTok and I saw a recommendation for this book. I was on TikTok kind of hunting for content about short books, which we'll come on to later. We and I, f- I found this. It was recommended as a short, freaky little book. And I thought, well, I love a freaky book. And I need to consume lots of short books this week. Sold. Added to my basket. Bought it. I would actually say that this book isn't particularly freaky as such. I'd kind of describe it as black comedy meets thriller, but with good writing. That's a bit, it feels a bit of a convoluted description, but that's kind of what I landed on. It's very hyphenated, but good hyphens. (laughs) Thank you. So essentially the story follows our main character, who's also our narrator for this book. She's a married woman living in America and she gets possessed by a demon. I'm there. But she doesn't realise it at first and it's her journey kind of through the stages of possession. It's only 165 pages long, so it is a short book. uh, And it also, it, it did almost make it into the list that we're going to talk about later, but... I had too many to choose from, so I was like, I'm going to talk about this in the intro. Ditto, ditto, ditto. Can I ask, mm. does the demon get a voice in this book as well? Yes, but there isn't a de- there isn't the demon's point of view. So it, right, we okay. stay with the main character, okay. but the demon speaks and interacts and, and you can, a character is built from the demon. This sounds fascinating. And it sounds like the kind of book that you can't really go into many plot points without completely spoiling it because i have so many questions but Mm. i can kind of feel like they're all going to be spoilers so yeah it was it was it was a really good book it there we go first one of the episode (laughs) ding ding (laughs) how long did i lasted 17 minutes fantastic (laughs) it's a superb book uh, really well written and i can't yeah i can't say a lot more without spoiling it but it it didn't i kind of thought i might be going in for a horror book but i wasn't at all it it more psychological horror Yes, more psychological thriller, I would say. I psychological wasn't, thriller. Okay. I wasn't scared reading it, but I was like, "This is this is good." 
I love your genre knowledge. I kind of feel like mine is quite weak in comparison. You're really, you really pinpoint the genre. Well, I don't know, because we are only on episode eight. And I feel like by the time we're on episode, say, 42, you might be like, oh, she's just, she just repeats the same thing. Oh, things. another intelligent thriller. <laughs> there Busted. She, there she goes. <laughs> well, I'm going to chat about genre later, so maybe I can get my own back. <laughs> yes, I, I mean, we, we, all, we all at this table know Joseph is very smart. and well, lis- listeners. <laughs> that's not the point I was trying to make, but we're all learning from each other. Sorry, where did you go to uni? I, I, was, ho- I was homeschooled <laughs> in a forest. <laughs> Okay, so are we ready to talk about today's topic of short books? We are indeed. I thought, and Joseph also thought, it might be a good idea to talk about short books now. Yeah, I think it's a really good idea because it's kind of, it's the start of the new year and it feels like exactly the time when people are talking about wanting to read more and setting reading goals. And I think we've discussed this, short fiction can be such a great way of getting over a reading slump and developing a regular reading habit, if that's something you want to do. Yeah, no, definitely. And like the books that we're talking about today, they're kind of short, punchy stories, and they can be finished in a few sittings. So they're all like page turners, and it's it's perfect for getting that sense of achievement, for finishing it quite quickly and feeling like, wow, I've read a whole book. Yeah, absolutely. And all of the books we're talking about today, they're all great stories in their own right too. And I feel like with all the popular bookstagram and booktop books being quite often big, chunky, long books, it's sometimes, it's well, it is very easy to miss out on these smaller gems. And I think that would be a real shame. Yeah, and I kind of like how you can dive into a new genre. So if you want to try out like science fiction because you've not really read it before, you can pick up a short book and it's not too much of a commitment. It's not like picking up, yeah. you know, a massive book that's also got like nine books after it yeah. and thinking, oh no, what have I done? Try before you buy, basically. Yeah, yeah, that kind of vibe, which I really like. And can I just say, on a practical note, because I am a practical person, <laughs> if you're a fan of physical books like I am, um, you can basically take these books anywhere you go. You're not going to get RSI trying to read these in bed or on the tube or in the dentist's waiting room. These guys literally fit in your handbag or your tote. Yeah, handbag, tote, some even fit in your pocket. Absolutely. Okay, so before we kind of dive into our short books, I do have a question. Mm-hmm. We're talking about why everyone should read short books, but what exactly is a short book? Now, Joseph, you are the literature grad amongst us, so what's your take on short books? Okay, if we're talking about short books, the word that instantly springs to my mind is novella. Yes. Basically, like, little novel. And even with my expensive book training at university, I had to look this one up. And what I found out was that novellas were basically invented in the 14th century by the Italian writer Boccaccio. Have you heard of him? Yes, name rings a bell, but I mean, I know nothing about him. Well, we're almost on the same page there. He wrote a group of stories called The Decameron, and every story in that collection was called a novella. And basically the name stuck. You've taught me something new. Thank you. So although the form has obviously changed since Boccaccio was writing novellas, they have continued to share some kind of core characteristics as, as like a form. So in terms of plot and pacing, they're somewhere between a short story and a novel. So fewer conflicts in a novel, but more plot and characterization than a short story. Mm-hmm. They're often written from a single point of view. I guess because of their length. And they're often concerned with, I would say, like emotional and personal development rather than like wider social change. You're not going to get the big Jonathan Franzen themes in a short book necessarily. And also, 
interestingly, mm. they can be quite experimental. So they don't always have chapters and they, quite, they, they, they use their white space and page layout quite creatively, quite liberally to show a break in narrative or a leap in time. Mm. And what about length? Like, is there a set length for a novella? This kind of changes depending on who you're speaking to. But Ooh. I think, yeah, I think generally a novella is somewhere in the region of twenty to 40,000 words, which means nothing to me. So I actually had, <laughs> I had to look up, like, what does that mean in terms of pages? So that's roughly 80 to 160 pages, which I think is the page count that we've kept to today. Yes, I think I tried to go under 150. So. Oh, okay. I think I'm, for most of my books, I'm around 100, but some creep up to 160. Joseph. Yes. What is your first short book? My first short book is a piece of incredible autofiction by the French Nobel laureate Annie Arnaud. It's called Happening. I know you sell it in your bookshop. We do. And it's, it's a, in a beautiful edition. It was published by Fitzcarraldo in the UK, at least, in an English translation by Tanya Leslie in 2019. But mm. I think it's been reissued recently, actually. So let me tell you about Happening. Happening is, I think, proof in itself that a short book can have a huge emotional impact on its readers. It's uh, it's a simple premise. So we're in 1963 and a very young Annie Arnaud, I think she's 23, 24. Mm. She gets pregnant after a casual relationship with a fellow student. She's from a working class background and she's worked really hard her whole life to get where she is. She's a student at a prestigious French university. And she knows that carrying the pregnancy will mean the end of her academic career. So she knows she can't keep the child and the rest of the book is an account of what she had to go through to get an abortion in France, illegally at that time. As you can imagine, because of how French society was then, mm. the social attitudes, the laws that were in place, everything had to be done in a really clandestine way. Mm. Uh, she could never just have an open conversation about what she needed with a friend or a doctor because she, basically she didn't know who was going to report her to the police. She wrote in code in her diary... Friends who she thought she could trust betrayed her, um, and as you'll read in the book, worse, unfortunately. I don't want to diminish the account in any way, but that ever kind of present sense of danger and isolation, you know, that everything has to be under wraps, mm. almost makes the book feel like a thriller in places, which from a contemporary perspective is kind of surreal, yeah. given that at the core of this book, it's simply about a woman wanting to make choices about her own body. And I do have a question for you. Yeah. I mean, it sounds really interesting, but be honest with me. How readable was it? Like, how easy was it to read? I mean, the fact that you you did just mention there that it, it reads like a thriller makes me think that perhaps it's not as heavy going. Uh, that maybe it is in topic, but in terms of, you know, you pick up some books and you just fly through. Yeah. Can you do that with this? I kind of feel like it feels a bit weird saying mm. a, a book about a woman trying to get an illegal abortion when she was 23 is a page turner. Yes, yeah, you, yeah, I appreciate that. I guess I was thinking, I wondered if it might be quite hard work, this book, both in terms of the writing and, I've not read any, any Annie Arno. Difficult to say. That is, that's hard. <laughs> Real tongue twister. Uh, yeah, I haven't read any of her books, so I, I guess I was wondering... For some reason in my head, I think of her as quite hard work to read and then the topic being quite heavy too. 
So her writing style is very simplistic and mm. unadorned. She okay. she's come out and said this in a number of interviews. This is something that she deliberately does. She wants to write her books about contemporary French life so that everyone can read them. Oh, so I'm like completely on the wrong page then. She's actually really easy to read. She is really in terms of the language, <laughs> yeah, she's really easy to read. And like I say, it's it's kind of like a thriller in places. She mm. she's she's talking about this experience 40 years on. And she's looking back and it's really interesting. She uses journal entries as well. So you really get a feel for these these scenes that she's describing. They're really brought to life. It's it's an easy book to get through. Yeah, it's 80 pages. It's incredibly powerful. As I've said, it's beautifully written. And I think especially with everything that's going on in like Poland, in mm. Iran, the United States, all of these attacks on bodily autonomy, it's a very timely read. Okay, I like that. I mean, I like the sound of that. Good. Give it a go. What would you recommend as your first short book? Okay, so I kind of want to start off by caveating that I must say when we decided this topic, I was like, oh, because I I was going through my bookshelves and I was like, I don't have a lot of short books. Sure. I was looking through and, and in fact, I was struggling to find anything that was like under 300 pages, let alone under like 160 or under. You like big books and you cannot I do. lie. <laughs> I like big books. Books and I cannot laugh. Um, <laughs> it's going to be stuck in my head now. Awkward. Yes, sorry. Back on track. So, uh, but I actually had a really wonderful reading week because I was like, I'm going to try out lots of short books. I'm going to, I found lots of new books and I really explored the genre. I guess short books aren't really a genre, but I was looking at I them know what you mean. as one. This sounds great. Yeah, and I had loads of fun. So most of these are, are new books that I've only recently discovered and maybe I'm actually a big short book fan. I don't know. Anyway, my first book is called Help Meet by Nabeen Ruthnum, who's a Canadian author. I'm just holding up the cover for Joseph to peruse while mm. I chat. I really had no, like, no idea what direction this book would take. And mm, it, it was weird in a good way. So it's set in the year 1900 and it features a woman caring for her husband who is dying of a degenerative disease that is causing him great pain and and it kind of means he needs 24/7 care from her. However, as the book goes on, it transpires that his illness is not what we the readers think and it all gets completely and utterly bizarre from there. Hang on, so is this a story about a man faking being ill for attention? No. Okay, continue. But it yeah, you, you, you're not going to be able to guess where it goes, but it does kind of go Ooh. off the tracks. It's probably not a book for you if you don't really like gross moments in a book, because there are some of those. But this book of only 100 or so pages, it really packs quite a punch, and it really does. You put it down and you think, what on earth have I just read? Sounds fantastic. Sounds it completely is. up my street. Yeah, it's, it's really good. So Help Meet is a, is a yeah weird and kind of gross novel set in the 1900s or not in the year 1900 I should say that's actually the 20 hundreds isn't it what is it Joseph help me if, <laughs> if it's set in 19 it's the 20th century yes yeah okay there we go okay moving right. swiftly on what's your next next book? week I'll be showing Sapphire <laughs> how to do the big hands on the clock <laughs> I could use your help with that okay call me so my next book is my second short book is assembly by the British novelist Natasha Brown, which was first published by Penguin in, I think, 2022. Mm-hmm. I Did we talk about this previously? Yeah. Maybe? Yeah, I, I feel that we did. I feel that you picked it up. I feel that you picked it up in the bookshop and we talked about it at some point. I think I've picked up all of these books mm. in your bookshop. So thank you for that. 
<laughs> so the narrator of Assembly is a 20-something black British woman who works in finance in the city mm-hmm. and she's preparing to attend a lavish garden party at her boyfriend's family estate somewhere in the English countryside. But something's not quite right. Everything she thought she wanted uh, at the beginning of the book, wealth, security, status, begins to ring false and she starts to kind of question how she got to this point in her life. I guess she also questions, like, how she's been assembled Mm. and by who, hence the title, the way society has made her want certain things, to take a certain career path, to suppress or kind of, like, ignore certain things about herself, her gender, her race, her class, and what she's lost in the process. I really want to read that because I feel like I'm kind of... Definitely over the past couple of years, I've really started to question... What are my wants and what are society's wants? What are things I've just been told I want? Like the career, you want to earn certain amounts of money, kids, like there's owning houses, like there's so much that we grow up without really questioning like, oh, hang on a second, do I actually personally want those things? So that feels... It kind of feels like, yeah, absolutely. Like, where do we draw that line? Mm. How much of this do we accept in as ourselves? Yeah. It's like reclaiming your sense of identity. Huh. Yeah. So I thought this was fantastic, if you hadn't already guessed. I read this book in a single sitting, and I just thought it was a really powerful, insightful analysis of lots of things, but primarily contemporary British culture, uh, analysis of consumerism, colonialism, misogyny, and kind of moreover how we treat anyone in British society who doesn't fit that white male heteronormative mould, mm. especially people of colour, like the, the, the narrative of the book, and how we expect those people to give up so much of themselves to fit in. I like it. What's your next book? Right, I'm really excited about this. So my next book is A Short Stay in Hell by oh, Stephen L. Peck. I can't stand this book. You hate it? No, I'm joking. Continue, oh. please. <laughs> oh my God. I was actually so shocked just then because I this is the one I'm most excited to talk about today. So I w- this book is quite hard to talk about in a spoiler-free way, but I'm going to give it my best go because I think it's worth trying. <sighs> Firstly, this book left me with so many thoughts and feelings, which I don't always think is an easy feat with a book. It's it's only 102 pages and Stephen has managed to do so much. It blew my mind a little bit. It feels like you're having lots of thoughts and feelings now. I am, I am. I'm this like, is like what the kind of impact we want books to have. Yeah, I, I'm thinking how how can I explain this? Like, Because I'm not even sure why, um, which isn't obviously great to hear as the listener. <laughs> yeah, keep it coming. But I can tell you what the book is about and encourage you to read it. So A Short Stay in Hell is about a faithful Mormon guy. Side note, Mormons believe that they'll be reunited with loved ones in the afterlife in case you didn't know okay i didn't know that but when our main character dies he finds himself cast into a hell by a god who's part of a religion that he's never even heard of okay this hell is a vast library and the only way he can escape it and yes this hell is temporary is by finding a book that contains the story of his life. Oh, I've heard of this book. Yes. So Stephen, uh, Stephen L. Peck, the author, he's actually a philosopher. I actually just hit my microphone in excitement with the book. <laughs> he's, a, he's a philosopher and you can definitely tell that as you read. This book is terrifying and haunting, but not, not in a, oh, this is scary way, but in a, oh my God, this is doing things to my mind and making yeah. me think kind of way. 
yeah, I just, I've not felt like this about a book in a really, really long time. I finished it and I kind of wanted to cling to Nicholas and, and like soak up every moment of that point in time because of this story. In fact, what I actually want to do is I want to read you a bit of an extract from the book. It's not a spoiler. Okay, But it is, it. it gives you a feel for what, what you'd be getting into. Okay, so to just give you a bit of context, the main character has just found himself in this hell and he's kind of exploring the place. He comes across a large sign on the wall, rather like a road sign. Um, and this is what the, the sign says, okay? Welcome to hell. This hell is based upon a short story by Georges-Louis Borges from your world called The Library of Babel. Here you will find all the books that can possibly be written. When you are ready to leave, find the book describing your earthly life story without errors, e.g. in spelling, grammar, etc., and submit the story through the slot below this sign. If the story is accepted, you will be admitted into a glorious heaven filled with wonders and joys beyond your imagination. During your stay, you may be interested in reading a book on Zoroastrianism. By special arrangement, there is one on every floor. The other books are randomised. The food kiosk will provide whatever you would like to eat. Just ask for it. We would ask that you please follow a few simple rules during your stay in hell. Number one, please be kind. Treat others as you would like to be treated. Failure to do this will bring unhappiness and misery to you and your fellow citizens. Do not get discouraged. Remember, nothing lasts forever. Someday, this will be a distant memory. Three, please leave towels on the floor if you wish them to be cleaned. <laughs> hang, up, <laughs> hang up those you wish to use again. Four, Books not in your possession will be returned to their original place on the stacks every night. A book will be considered in your possession if you are touching it. Five, if you are killed, you will be restored to life on the following day. Please try to avoid death as much as possible. Six, all contracts, bonds, commitments, covenants, pledges and promises entered into prior to your... In entered into prior to your in entering hell, another tongue twister for you, are null and void. This includes, but is not limited to, debt, marriage, natural births and adoptions, requirements of citizenship, military obligations, student loans, etc. Seven, remember, you are never really alone, although it may feel like it for very long stretches of time. Eight, please don't write on Mark or Mar library materials. Although repairs are made nightly, we really would like you to keep repairs to a minimum. Number nine, lastly, you are here to learn something. Don't try to figure out what it is. This can be frustrating and unproductive. I'm just going to say right off the bat, that's not hell, that's heaven. That's like an amazing spa hotel. No, because I went Where in... you don't have to talk to your family and you have a huge <laughs> library at your disposal. No, because you're going to read this book and this is exactly where I started off. I read kind of the synopsis for the book and I thought, wow, hell, that's a library. How is that hell? You need to read it and then you will feel very, very differently. You'll still love books. You'll still love libraries. But don't take that from me. It's I won't. I would I would never dream of it. But this is such a good book. And as you can see, there there is kind of funny elements in it, and I've just not read anything like it. And I, I absolutely loved it. So I'm gonna hundred percent read this. I to. love Borges's work, so the fact that this has been inspired by one of his short stories. Did I get the name right or did I butcher it? Oh, I thought we were butchering. Oh, but I mean, just in different I ways. always am, but we're, we're both like, yeah. You said it like you... We're freestyling. You. Yeah, I just thought I'd crack open the, the, the Spanish GCSE for you there. <laughs> I should, yeah, I mean, for, oh. okay, moving along. What's your next book, Joseph? It's bookshop related, actually. Ooh. Well, it's book related, yeah. Well, it so should be. This my... is a book podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Got one thing right. My third book is Days at the Morisaki Bookshop by Satoshi Yakisawa. Ooh. 
Yeah, have you heard of this one? Yes. So this is translated by Eric Ogawa. I just want to say we need to we need to be consistent about mentioning who's translated book. We should give the translators their due. Yes, we should. So, I mean, it's a really clever job. So new po- new podcast rule. We always mention the translator. So this was published by Manila Press last year, twenty twenty three. I'm not aware of any other books by Yagisara. At least none that have been translated into English. Mm. But do correct me if I'm wrong on that, listeners. So this is my short book comfort read i'm as i've just said an absolute sucker for any book that is set in a bookshop or focuses on books in any way and in that respect days at the morisaki bookshop does not disappoint should i tell you a little bit about the story yes please do i feel like it's gonna feel like i'm getting a warm hug this book that's the vibe i'm getting so far it's a warm cup of japanese ovaltine so the story follows takako she's she's basically a 20 something tokyoite and she's just been dumped by her long-term boyfriend he suddenly announced that he wants to marry someone else. Wow. And, yeah, this happened to all of us. And <laughs> she's different podcast. And she's quit her job. And as a temporary, I'd say, respite from everything that she's gone through, she goes to work in her uncle's second-hand bookshop, which is this cute little wooden affair in Jimbochu. I didn't know where this was, but apparently it's the... This is street in central Tokyo that's exclusively filled with second-hand bookshops. Wow. Like, oh, why aren't we there? Wait, pause. Yeah, what, what, I need why, to go there. Why am I talking to you about it without giving you a plane ticket? I yeah. know. So I think we really need to go there. Anyway, her uncle has his own story to tell as well. He's like this super eccentric character. Um, his wife abruptly left him five years previously, and he's running this shop all by himself. So Takako agrees to help him in the shop in return for bed and board. What's really nice, the kind mm. of character arc, is that she's not a big reader when she arrives, but during her stay, she meets a cast of, like, customers, neighbours, potential love interests, we are spoiler-free, who reignite her passion for reading. So over the course of the year that she's there, she builds herself back up again personally, but she also learns to become a reader. Sorry, I just almost threw my hot water bottle at you. It sounds really good. I was, I was readjusting. It's, like, an emo- it's an emotional journey. Yeah. yeah. She's reborn as a reader. And I would say if you're a fan of Toshikazu Yawaguchi, who did the Before the Coffee Gets Cold series, yes. or Michiko Ayama, whose book What You Are Looking For is in the library, which came out last year and which I loved, this yeah, could loved. be a good pick for you. Yo, you did you enjoy that? Mm, I thought yeah. that was brilliant. I do just in general, I love Japanese translations. Okay. And something I want to say about this book, and I think it's important for all of these Japanese translations, is they all have like quite cutesy cover art. Mm. And I thought despite the cute illustration on the book jacket and the the whimsical title, the main character, Takako, in this book wasn't one-dimensional. She wasn't kind of like a submissive stereotype. Mm. She's opinionated, she's stubborn, she's not afraid to speak her mind. And... The book, like what you were looking for is in the library, also touches on quite hard issues like depression and emotional abuse. Yeah. So I felt there was a there was a real substance to the story. So definitely a recommendation from me. I am um, sorry. Sorry, listeners. I was just looking for a book because I can't remember the name of the author, but there was a book I almost put into this episode, but I didn't because I knew that you were doing a Japanese translation called Weasels in the Attic. Yes, I can't remember the translation, but it's got a beautiful orange cover. Yes, it's, uh, I can't, I can't find it on the shelf, so I'm not sure where it is. It's super short. Yeah, very short, but it's another brilliant Japanese translation, which I just wanted to tack on the end of what you said, that whilst we're kind of in that part of the world, 
that's a good book to also read. And it's another book with a very kawaii book cover. It's very yes. cute, the little weasel with its eyes and ears. But gets but you deals, thinking. Exactly, mm. kind of philosophical. Yeah. So why I, do they do that? Just side note, why, why do you think that is? Well, I don't know. And I thought, I'm, I'm really glad you've raised it. I thought it was important to raise because I think serious readers and speech marks can be really put off by these book covers. Yeah, because it makes you feel as though it's going to be twee or it's going to 100%. be... Well, not again, speech marks, a serious book then you lose out on a whole load of, potentially on a whole load of readers. Completely. We'll have to speak to the designers. <laughs> What's your next pick, sir? Okay, my next pick is You Should Have Left by Daniel Kelman. And I am just having a flick because I haven't written down the translation and we've just come up with a new rule. Oh, no, rule. I've, now I've instigated this new yes. rule. I'm going to police it quite heavily. Yeah, now I'm going to get you into can't conti- you, trouble. You shall not pass until you tell me the translator's name. Translated from the German by Ross Benjamin. There we go. Thanks, Ross. My name's Saf. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> so stupid. So, You Should Have Left. Uh, it was published by Quercus in 2017. It's a German translation. And it's another book that I just stumbled onto which is how I do often, to be honest, find my books. So this book comes in at a total of 111 pages, very small in size too, um, about the size of my palm for listeners, if they, they'd like a visual. Maybe they, they do, they don't. We could put something up on Instagram. There maybe we go. showing it with a 50p piece, the book in your palm. <laughs> this book is told in the form of a journal. It's about a man, his wife and their four-year-old daughter and they rent a house in the mountains, but something about the house isn't right. He begins to realise that the rooms aren't where he remembers them to be, and he finds words in his notebook that are not his own. This book is is very creepy. It sounds like a Stephen King almost. Yeah, I mean, it is very different to Stephen King, but I guess there is perhaps a similarity in terms of the storyline and that kind of direction. I would say the writing itself is very different, and this could be due to the translation. I've not read a lot of German translations. Okay. But it's quite short and sharp, so I'm not sure whether that's to do with the German language translated into English or whether that's just the style that that Daniel's decided to go with with this book. But it works. It works. Whatever the reasons, it it works really well. And, and yeah, that, that kind of compact writing, that use of very few words... I think it's it's a real skill. It really adds a kind of a creepy element to the book by the language that's used. Mm. I'm intrigued. Yeah, you should be. It's I, I kind of went into this book not knowing a lot and I liked it. So I don't want to tell you and the listeners too much because I kind of want you to have that same experience that I had with it. Where you just know a little very vague piece and then you dive in. I think it's creepy, but some listeners might find it scary. And I personally kind of, I love creepy books. I love scary books. And I actually think that horror is very hard to do. And I think it's given a bit of a bad rap and can kind of be seen as a bit crappy or a bit cliche when actually I think it's skill to write a book that actually makes you shiver or makes you scared to kind of be alone is not an easy thing to do. I think it takes talent. And yeah, it, it can be really powerful. So this book, I think the author's done that and they've done it really well. And it's a very good book. It's very good, readers. Well, I'm going to pick that one up. That sounds fantastic. You can borrow it if you and like. And small enough to hold in my palm. Well, I, I could have multiple copies I don't once. know the size of your hands, but yeah, small enough to they're, hold them. Well, they're <laughs> this big. I mean, I'm sitting in front of you. Cool. Cool. 
moving swiftly on. What's your next book? My next book is Ice by Anna Cavan. I've never heard of this. Okay, this is the longest book on my list. It's 160 pages. It's chunky. (laughs) It's it's chunky. It's a doorstopper. So this came out in 1967. So it's possibly the oldest book as well Mm. and was the last novel to be published before Cavan died the following year in 1968. It is a tough one to pin down in terms of genre. It's often called genre-defying in reviews and blurbs. Just interestingly, because we were talking about genre before, I read somewhere recently that it's a really good example of the slipstream genre. Have you... I hadn't heard of this. You heard no, of slipstream? I haven't. So maybe I'm not the expert on genres. I've been, I've been placed <laughs> as slipstream genre. No, I think you were talking about this before. It's basically writing that mixes speculative fiction with science fiction, fantasy and literary fiction. Oh, yeah, we've kind of touched on this, haven't we? we I didn't have. know that there was a, an official kind of genre for it. I think we should start a genre fan band called Slipstream. I think we should. I I do feel we might also need to stop saying genre because it's starting to sound really weird to my ears. It is, yeah. Anyway, I think most publishers today would categorise ice as dystopian fiction, which we are both huge fans of. Mm. So I I think this is definitely a short cult classic that you would enjoy. I'm going to read you a bit of a synopsis. Yes, please do. So ice is set during an apocalypse in which a massive monolithic ice shelf caused by nuclear war is engulfing the earth. The male protagonist and narrator of the story spends the narrative feverishly pursuing a young nameless woman and contemplating the overwhelming but conflicting feelings he has for her. It's basically Colleen Hoover. Initially, he must negotiate the presence of the woman's husband, definitely Colleen Hoover, and later he (laughs) faces more serious opposition from the warden. Ooh, Ooh, big Game of Thrones. Who seeks to keep her under his control. That sounds really good. It is a fever dream of a book. It's very cryptic. It's, um, you know, it's got this hallucinogenic writing. None of the central characters have names. It's set in an unknown Arctic apocalyptic wasteland. Say that quickly when you're drunk. The main protagonist, the man, is definitely an untrustworthy narrator and I really like those. Is he morally grey? He's morally grey (laughs) for Colleen Hoover fans. It's just a genuinely really unsettling read and the way it plays with pacing and time makes it feel like the closest thing I've read to experiencing an actual nightmare mm. that's my hook that's my way to get okay to yeah I, I really, it's like a nightmare it's a good hook well done <laughs> bravo i yeah it's, it's worked i want to read it it's worked so much that i'm falling all over the place <laughs> you're rushing out <laughs> to your independent bookstore to pick up a copy now sorry i need to go <laughs> i read this in my early 20s and i still think about this book today wow a really long time ago huh <laughs> <laughs> that was 50 years ago um <laughs> it's one of two books that's genuinely stayed with me and creeped me out Okay, I think you've probably read this one. My next book is I Who Have Never Known Men by Jacqueline Jacqueline Harpman. I've read this. This isn't this is an older book, isn't it? But it's just been reissued. Mm, yeah, so it's it's unusual for me to be in in my book pile to be honest. And it was translated from the French by Ros Schwartz. Mm. Okay, so this book. Okay, yeah, as you say, it's slightly older, so I have cheated a little bit as I wouldn't necessarily class it as contemporary, but it, as you say, it is just being republished. So, It was originally published in 1995, and my copy is published by Penguin. And it actually has an introduction from Sophie McIntosh, who did Cursed Bread. Yes. Mm. And just a side note, do you read the introductions? It depends. I've been burnt by enough introductions to know that I have to kind of skim read them quickly first to see if they're going to give plot spoilers. I I just find them a bit boring. I always skip them. 
I, I skip them, but if I've really enjoyed a book, sometimes I'll come back just to see that's if I've missed something crucial. Yeah, that's a, that, they just feel a bit, they always feel a bit academic, like a bit like... A bit like book learning. Yeah, it's sort of take the fun out of it a bit, like, ooh, let's critique this, you know, classic book. So, you have my permission, not that you needed it, to skip Thank you, I was doing it anyway, but I yeah, should continue. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so you've got your Sophie Macintosh introduction, great, you can read that if you want to. So, let me give you the background. 39 women live imprisoned in a cage deep underground. They are watched over by guards and have absolutely no memories of how they got there and that their memories of like their time before they were there are hazy. Mm -hmm. Our main character is a young girl who is the 40th prisoner. She's the outcast one in the group, but she soon shows herself to be like the key to the others' escape and their survival in the strange world that awaits them above ground. This book, I mean, it's brilliant. I, I think it feels very contemporary despite being, what, 28 years old now? Almost 29 years old. It's got a sci-fi edge to it, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. And it was a book where I really had no idea where it was going or what I should expect. That I didn't, I wasn't able to predict any of the plot or, or what was going on. And I really found myself pausing within the pages to kind of think, to almost stop and imagine how I thought that they ended up there and where they might be going. I had so many questions and kind of an excitement reading it, where I was kind of like, well, how did they end up underground? I think that's definitely the thought process that you're sucked into with this mm, book. Yeah. It's very claustrophobic. Yeah. I'm glad you, yeah, you felt similarly. It really, really had me questioning what was going on and why. And I just thought it was superb. And it's an older book for me, as we know. And I loved it. I, I raced through it in one sitting and now I recommend it to, to lots of people. I mean, trigger warning, there is there's quite traumatic scenes in this book. Oh yeah, sorry, I'm really bad at those. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing <laughs> people, people. I'm guessing listeners will get that from the synopsis of mm -hmm. she's in a space with 29 other women. Yeah, apologies listeners, I do, I listen to a lot of true crime, so I'm kind of, I forget that... You're just desensitised to it. Yeah, I, I, I potentially, that's probably a conversation for another time, it's potentially... Potentially, I am. I didn't even think about that. So thank you, Joseph. That is very correct. What's your final book? My final book is Open Throat by Henry Hoke. About the lion? About the lion. Yeah, I've not read it, but I've, I've heard of this. So tell me about it. So Henry Hoke is a American writer, I think. Open Throat was published last year in the UK by Picador. I think it's still in hardback. I've got a hardback copy. I've lent, I've lent it to you today. Mm. Yeah, I don't think it's paperback yet. So this book is told from the perspective of a mountain lion who lives in the scrubland under the Hollywood sign in Los Angeles. They're a non-binary queer mountain lion and the story takes us inside their head as they try to make sense of all the voices around them, their gender identity, their own traumatic childhood. And they also spend a lot of time in the novel protecting a local homeless enclosure. So they, they do a lot of musing about inequality as well, like mm. inequality in American society. It's a beautiful, witty, moving book, I think, about queer self-acceptance. And having read it and then watched a couple of interviews with the author, I think mm. that that's what he's trying to get at. The central character, the, the mountain lion, is really well written. Some of their thoughts and responses to the, the, the people they encounter who are by and large bored hikers complaining about therapy mm. and life in LA really made me chuckle and the voice felt really Melissa Broder or mm. Atessa Moshfeg but yeah. sadder Does, okay 
So really funny, really witty, but really philosophical at the same time. I'm not going to say any more. There is kind of like a, a plot point midway that completely changes the pace of the book, but I don't want to spoil that. But yeah, fantastic character arc, and I'd really recommend it. Yeah, that sounds really good, and I'm definitely going to read it. I I do quite like books that are putting you in the mind of an animal. I thought of... I apologise as I can't remember the author, but there's a book that I believe was called A Boy and His Dog. Japanese, another Japanese book. And a boy and a dog get separated after, I think, like an earthquake or something like that. And then the dog is trying to find the boy. Definitely similar in terms of it gives you the perspective from from an animal's point of view. I didn't know, sorry, another bit of book learning. This is called Mm. xenofiction. When a, when a novel or a piece of literature is written from the perspective of, of a non-human character. Why is it xenofiction and not zoonofiction? Ooh. Stop laughing at me, <laughs> producer James. But we've got zoologists, zoos. I think that's a logical, a logical but, question. But I, maybe I'm wrong in thinking this, but mansplaining alert. Zoology is not about zoos, it's about zoos, which means life. Yes, it is. And um, I'm, I knew that, because I used to want to be a zoologist, I used to want to be Steve Irwin. Um, I'm just going to shut up now. No, seriously. I'm getting back in my box, listeners. For years, I I mean, I was young, so I didn't know everything, and I still don't know everything about zoology and stuff, but I knew about the term zoology and what it meant because I wanted to be like Steve Irwin, who was actually a zoologist. So I knew it wasn't just because of zoos, but I presume... We use the word zoology and zoo relating to animals because I presume it's saying there in the etymology. So I was curious why it's Z and not Not for a moment zoo. did I doubt your, your string of logic. I just thought I'd jump in there and question <laughs> well, you. Well, I've learned something. So I think, you know. Steve Irwin, the guy with the stingray? Yeah, RIP. Okay, right. He was amazing. Okay. <laughs> Do you have any more short books you want to talk about? Yes, I do. My final book is Tiamo by Han Orstovic, translated by Martin Atkin. Have you heard of this book? I haven't. I hadn't heard of this author, and I was actually, this is a proof copy I've got in my hands. It's it's now a published book. It was a, a year or two ago, I think two years maybe, that I read this book. It landed kind of on my bookshop counter, and I thought, oh, this looks interesting. So I did a little research about the author. Han Orstovic published the novel Cut in 1994 and embarked on a career that would make her one of the most remarkable and admired authors in Norwegian contemporary literature. Her literary breakthrough came three years later with the publication of Love, and they do give the Norwegian translation when I looked this up, but I, I'm not... We can't pronounce that No, I'm listeners. not even... I'm looking at the word and I'm not even going to try it because it just feels that it would be rude. Which in 2006 was voted one of the six best Norwegian books of the last 25 years, which is quite impressive. That is. So essentially, Han is a, a very accomplished and well-regarded author when she landed on my bookshop counter. And I naively had never, never heard of her. So... This book, Tiamo, it's actually based in Orstovic's own experience of losing her Italian husband to cancer. By facing loss directly, she includes readers in an experience that many face kind of alone and in isolation. Mm. It's written and set in the early months of 2020, and its themes of loss and suffering are particularly kind of well-suited, I think, to the time period and to, yep. to this time. And I also think it's something that that everybody can relate to, even if you haven't lost directly a loved one. So it feels like a book that everybody would enjoy. It really does make you think about love and, and what exactly love means, how you define it, how you show it, 
and what it might mean to lose somebody that you love. It you you've got to read it. It's it's beautiful. It's it's very sad. I will say that. So so this is auto fiction, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it sounds right up my street. I love the Norwegian writer Vigdis Sjöf, who writes a lot of. Uh, she writes novels, but mm. she also writes autofiction, kind of r- around the same subjects like separation, family separate, separation, anxiety in relationships, concerns about death. So this sounds fantastic. Yeah, I will. I will lend it to you. It's. It's. I'm so glad th- uh, the publisher sent it to me because it, I, I might not have found it otherwise. It's a beautiful book. Wh- which shade of pink would you say that is? Uh, I would. Mm, oh, is it not pink? Dusky. Yeah, it's pink. Dusky pink, I would say. I would have gone for millennium, but I trust your pink knowledge more. No, that's brighter. This is dusky. Okay. (laughs) Trust me, because I used to have to... The reason I'm good at describing colours is because I used to be a florist and people would come in and I'd do a lot of wedding flowers and people would say, I want a dusky pink and I really had to learn how to figure out. And so I learned what all different... I mean, everybody's different, but I would be like, ah, so something like this. And then people would be like, no, that's too bright i mean dusky so i'm i feel that now i'm pretty spot on with my my color description so we'll come we'll come back to you every time we've got a question about colors yes please anyway that was my last book do you have any honorable mentions i have one i don't but i know you do my only honorable mention is the summer book by tove jansen the lady I've... who drew and wrote the moomins you... oh i didn't know that was her but i did know <laughs> i've completely undersold her then yeah, because I knew her as an author. Well, not that she isn't an author for the Moomins, but I knew her as an author in her own right of her. Because she's got a couple of books. Yeah, absolutely. So she's written children's literature. She's written adult novels. Yeah. And, I mean, she primarily wanted to be known as a visual artist. So she was a painter. That's that's how she started. Oh. Yeah. So I thought I'd slip this one in because it's cold. It's minus something out there. And I just think... This is the sort of book that you want to pick up if you want a beautiful, nostalgic story about a young girl spending her summers swimming off the islands of the Finnish archipelago with her eccentric granny. I just felt like it's that kind of time of year for that bit of escapism. Yeah, that sounds good. And I just thought the the way the relationship between the girl and her grandmother is drawn in this book is just perfect. And it's just got those summer vibes. I like it. Thank you. It's a nice short book. Good honourable mention. Okay, so now I think we're at that part of the show where we try to help one of our listeners find their next must-read book. Are we ready? We are ready. Our request today comes from Patricia. Hello, Novel Thoughts. I wonder if you could help. I recently read and enjoyed The Marriage Portrait by Maggie O'Farrell. I was wondering if you could suggest any other well-written historical fiction in the same vein. Hmm... It's a good question. It's a very good question. Joseph, what would you recommend? If you're looking for a book set in the same time period, mm-hmm. I would go with Secrecy by Rupert Thomson. Um, It's set towards the end of the Medici's reign, when Florence is being ruled over by GCSE history, Cosimo III. You, did you do that in GCSE history? <laughs> A-level history, sorry, no. <laughs> GCSE history was the Nazis and the Tudors. I still don't think I did. Yeah, anyway, carry on. (laughs) Continuing. So, Secrecy tells the story of Gaetano Zumbo, who was brought to Florence to produce a series of wax sculptures, which I think you can still see today. They're still on display. And the book has a really great plot, and I thought it really managed to conjure up the intrigue and sinisterness of Renaissance Florence. And you get 
so many elements of that with the marriage portrait. So I thought this would be a nice read after that. Yeah, that's a re- I think that's a really good recommendation. Um, I know you, you're not a huge fan of historical fiction, are you? No, I've only very recently got into historical fiction. So, yeah, th- this was a harder question for me because I don't have a lot of books I've, I've read. Okay, what did you go for? So, the ones that I thought of were the classic, which I think Patricia's going to have already read, uh, was Still Life by Sarah Wynne. That's always a huge one, I think, of in terms of historical fiction, and it's been so well regarded. And then Small Pleasures by Claire Chambers. Yes, yeah. Again, I think similar vibes, but I I will be honest, this isn't my genre. Um, I did also put this out um, into a Facebook group that I'm in with um, other booksellers to ask what their their thoughts were on historical fiction similar to the marriage portrait okay and lots of people suggested the mercies by kieran millwood hargrave i haven't read it no neither have i but everybody was then re-commenting being like oh yeah that's such a good shout okay so that's that's my kind of my (laughs) recommendations sounds great there's a great reading list there for patricia so hopefully she can find something that she'll enjoy yes Okay, so that's just about the end of the show. And I do want to say, listeners, today has been a little bit different. I feel we've recorded somewhere different. There's perhaps been a few more chaotic vibes coming through the microphones and into your ears. So if you have made it all the way through this episode, thank you for sticking with us um, and our many tangents that we had today. Hopefully enjoyable ones, but I don't know. You'll let us know, I'm sure. Um, Next week, we will be doing a mini dive on two brand new books. So the first is Piglet by Lottie Hazel. And the second is The Vulnerables by Sigrid Nunes. Two brilliant novels that we cannot wait to talk to you about. So make sure you join us for that. Oh, and of course, we'll be dishing out some more great recommendations to more of our lovely listeners. As always, links to everything we've been talking about today will be in the show notes. Please feel free to like and subscribe to the pod, tell a friend or leave us a review. It all helps. If you're looking for your next great read and you'd like to be part of the show, send us your recommendation request to ntpramsgate at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at novelthoughts underscore pod. Bye. Bye.